What's up, everybody? It's week one, and we've got a great deal for you. I know you guys are anxious to get your bets in for all the Sunday games week one, the Thursday night football game that's about to happen between the Buffalo Bills and the Super Bowl champion LA Rams and everything beyond that, and we've got a great deal for you. Use the coupon code Week one, anytime you buy a weekly subscription, that's W-E-E-K-O-N-E, and you will get 77% off your first week. Unbelievable deal. Get you on board. Get everything super discounted for the first week of the season. That's our gift to you. So jump on board right now. Go to sharpfootballanalysis.com. Any package, whether you're buying the NFL-only betting package, whether you're buying the combo package to get college football as well, or you're buying the all-access package to get everything that we do from a fantasy perspective, as well as props, in addition to all the betting action, which is what I highly recommend that you do, use coupon code WEEK1 and you will get 77% off. Truly unbelievable. Football is back. Get on board today. What is going on, Sharp Football Fantasy Family? We have made it. It is week one of the 2022 NFL season. We have actual games to talk about. Players are going to go in your lineups. We're going to have scores. We're going to have winners. Unfortunately, we'll have some losers too this weekend. But kicking it off this season, you know, sometimes I use this forum to elevate those that maybe have not had a chance to get their voices heard yet and sometimes I just abuse my power and I have someone I just want to talk to and haven't talked to in a while uh, and that is what I feel like I'm doing today I've got Sigmund Bloom from Football Guys on the show I couldn't think of a better week one guest to kind of start us on this initial pathway of sorting out the 2022 NFL season Sig what's going on this morning getting ready absorbing everything <laughs> And when I think of Lord Reeves, I think of abuse of power always. So you, you try to be a better benevolent dictator for us. No, this is great, though. Like you said, we made it. Uh, summertime, Labor Day just passed, sort of the end of summer. Uh, baseball's the sport of summer. Football's the sport of the fall and the winter. And it helps us get through those things. It's that weightlessness, that unburdening. I know that we do stress and agonize about our fantasy teams and everything else associated with our testing our football knowledge but mostly it's a nice bubble from all those other things in life and that's the best part is sharing that journey of uh weightlessness again when the football games are on when we're managing our lineups when we're making our picks for the week nothing else is going on and it's a good feeling i, I always stress to, to people in fantasy and when i've guested on shows and i and i host this show that this is my favorite time of the year because I feel like my strength as a fantasy analyst is that in-season like calibration, mm-hmm. and it's what I really enjoy. And we finally have that here after eight months of kind of talking about like you know, well, who's the guy to have, Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy? Uh, you know, so I, I love that we're going to actually have some things to talk about, and I love that you know we get to write things up based on things that happen now in these games instead of just right. what we believe is going to happen. So let's kind of start that off here. We're going to talk oh. about some of these games and just kind of you maybe walk through a couple ambiguous situations that maybe yeah. you know some gamers have some things that we think is going to happen and we've got a really great you know us doing this early in the week week one we get to work ahead so we can talk about the thursday game this week so we've got some breath here uh, mm-hmm. for this to breathe and you know we've got a really good one here rams and bills and the rams have been kind of an an interesting team here throughout the course of the preseason. Uh, you know, we've got this Matthew Stafford kind of elbow. Are we going to handle him like a major league pitcher type of deal? This, this, uh, 
you know, kind of going on. We've got the backfield, the soft tissue injuries for mm-hmm. both Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers. It looks like both are practicing and will be set up to play. Uh, and then we also have kind of the Rams, you know, just kind of the Super Bowl hangover and maybe losing a couple pieces. Everyone's gunning for you. And can they withstand? So let's start with the Rams. I mean, we wanted to get into the Stafford injury side. So I think that's going to be kind of touch and go as, we, as right. it is. But let's start in the, the backfield here. You know, Cam Akers is a guy that, you know, coming off the Achilles, you know, he's almost punished for his recovery, right, mm-hmm. by fantasy gamers. Like people held it against him because, you know, maybe the explosion wasn't fully there. But the Rams were a miserable running team last year in general and now they lose austin corbett they lose andrew whitworth um just a lot of you know kind of gray space here now in terms of the usage and what we're going to see week one and the team situation how confident are you that cam Akers is the guy or isn't the guy in week one you know for this backfield i'm not confident at all I think that you have to have skepticism about this backfield in general because the top two backs haven't been healthy during the summer. When they talk about them, they talk about them as a duo. There's no clear indication that there's going to be a lead dog here. If you see how their injury history stack up, especially for Henderson, there's no reason for them to treat one of these guys as a lead dog. Uh, you mentioned that the Rams were miserable running the ball last year. I think when they had to turn to Tony Michelle, they really had to, I don't want to say dumb down, that sounds terrible, but it was a more straightforward running game than the running game that can have so many different play action looks that can ha- have things that keep a defense off balance. Uh, so I don't know if Cam Akers return maybe can open up a little more of the playbook there. But like you said, there's some offensive line changes. And it really, when we look at the Rams, just to take a larger view on the Rams versus Bills in this game, I think the guy in the spotlight is going to be Allen Robinson. Because and he's another guy, it seems like months ago, that at training camp opened and everybody was just floored uh, how he looked. He looked like good old Allen Robinson. And did the Bears offense have him do a kind of Randy Moss semi-retirement on the field? <laughs> and that's what happened last year. Uh, or has he lost some of his game? There's no indication he's lost some of his game. And Tredavious White is still on the PUP list. So he would have been the Allen Robinson stopper in this game, I think. So I think you may see more of the passing game. But then, like you said, the bigger question overarching this is we're going to watch Matthew Stafford. We're all going to be watching first game of the year. Is there more than a throw or two that he misses where there's no pressure, where there's nothing that show, or does he under throw a ball or maybe he doesn't set up those great run after catch opportunities for Cooper Cup? We're going to be watching this because it's going to feel as good as it's going to feel all year this week. And so there's a lot more questions than answers right now with the Rams offense, but Allen Robinson may end up being the headline stealer because the best cornerback for the bills won't be playing. Yeah. And you look at the bills and, you know, if you go back to last year, I mean, they were the best pass defense wire to wire in the NFL, but you know, they really didn't face any good quarterbacks the entire season, you know, product of the AFC East and just schedule. And they've got just some moving parts here at cornerback, you know, with Tredavious white being out. I mean, Dane Jackson still didn't really play like a lot last year. You've got two guys in Kair Elam and Christian Benford rookies that are probably going to be playing because the Rams are going to run so much 11 personnel and three wide receiver sets, uh, regardless that those guys are going to get on the field. Um, and, and talk to me a little bit about that Rams 11 personnel. Yeah. I mean, do, do you think it's going to be as heavy in week one? Because, you know, we know Cooper Cup's going to play a slot. We got Allen Robinson outside. Tutu Atwell's not a perimeter wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Ben Scourneck, 
not really effective in his limited time. Brandon Powell, uh, you know, does, you know, Lance McCutcheon make yeah. an appearance, you know, on Thursday night because you can't, you're not just going to trot out 11 personnel to two Atwell on the, on the perimeter. So are we going to see someone else mixed in or do you think that's going to be the old McVay? Like, this is what we do. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's a good question because I think that we want to see flexibility here. You mentioned Tutu Atwell. I think he's a name to watch just simply because there were some indications that he was going to be able to contribute. He was a second round pick. He was mm-hmm. our first pick of the draft uh, in 2021. So that speed, maybe adding more jet sweep looks and things like that. Um, you mentioned McCutcheon. And I think McCutcheon is a good name to just invoke all of these training camp stars, especially the UDFAs that teams some of the teams they didn't even expect these guys to make the team then we're going to be watching if they're active and if they're active maybe this is where we get the reveal that they're actually in the team's plans because like you said there's that third receiver with van jefferson he's not going to play thursday we'll see it's been very vague about the nature of his surgery, a cleanup surgery. Uh, obviously, if Van Jefferson's healthy, then that makes it easy to forecast what this team is going to do as far as their offensive sets and personnel. Maybe we see more Bryson Hopkins. You know, he is taking a step forward. I think they drafted him in anticipation. Maybe it's more of a Tyler Higby night. Uh, so I, I think you're right that that injury to Van Jefferson opens up some questions. So now we have how's the running game going to uh, function? How's Matthew Stafford's elbow going to look? How's the offensive line with some new starters going to look? So again, this is, these are some questions and the bills defense should be pretty good. They have a lot of young uh, ascending defensive linemen and some continuity in this defense. So I think it'll be a good test. And certainly for bills fans, super bowl or bust and you're facing the super bowl champions. It's a good yardstick for this defense. Uh, whenever they weren't able to do it for 13 seconds. Sorry, you can't even say that anymore, right? Uh, so, you know, we turn the page, hopefully, for them, and, and it's bigger and better things this year. Do, do you think, looking at this from a top-down stance with, with Stafford and potentially the defensive talent here, yeah. uh, orbiting some of the, uneason, un, the the moving parts on offense, too, Like, do you, do you think there's any shot this game could let down? Sure. I mean, I think it's probably more likely to let down than it is to live up to expectations or at least shoot out expectations. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I do think that overall in week one, and I love that you use that word calibration and I'll just take a moment out. You know, we'll talk about things coming up in week one, but the most important skill in the next two, three, four weeks for any fantasy football player is correctly recalibrating to what we see. And you should really be in a receptive mindset. Whatever you thought, whatever, however your portfolio, best ball teams, exposure looks, whoever your most important teams are revolving around, really you should be distanced from that while you're watching these games and just let it wash over you. Now, there's going to be some false positives and false negatives. Uh, I'm thinking of Donald Rumsfeld and the unknown unknowns, right? There's going to be things that we're watching because we know that there's a wider range of outcomes and we're looking for that first data point. But then there's going to be some things like, you know, Trey Sermon and Elijah Mitchell last year, right? And the people who reacted decisively and said, well, if Kyle Shanahan came out of camp favoring Elijah Mitchell, then why would and Mitchell perform well in week one? Why would that change? And those folks that spent 85% of their waiver wire bucks on Elijah Mitchell, they actually did the right thing, right? Yep. So the, this, is, <laughs> this is the important, this is your homework, everybody, is let week one wash over you understand the whys in the house so you know if Allen robinson has eight catches for 200 yards and two touchdowns and it's against a rookie well we might say well, okay look he's not going to be this year's cooper cup but we have to be open to that we have to start teasing those things apart and like i said this 
game has a lot of uncertainty and you, you let in the question of is it going to be a letdown. I think in general, in week one, we're going to probably favor the defenses over the offenses, especially as we start talking about some other games where teams have new offensive coordinators, new quarterbacks. Uh, I, I think that you have to allow for what you see in week one and week two might not see what be what you see in week seven, week eight, week nine. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, especially too, because, you know, both these teams have such talent, so much talent on defense, you know, especially, you know, the Rams, what they can do in the secondary, even getting Troy Hill back. Like they've got yeah. a lot of of guys back there. Bobby Wagner. <laughs> yes, that can combat a lot of what the Bills, you know, do offensively. And we don't have, with the loss of Brian Dayball, we do not know, like, if how much of an imprint that's going to put on the aggressiveness uh, of this offense that was kind of, you know, past Florida, you know, uh, pedal to the floor. And we've got, you know, now they add James Cook. Does this team want to run the football, especially with Josh Allen? Because there was an inflection point last year, and I think it happened, like, during the Buccaneers game where the Bills just couldn't run the football, and they started incorporating Josh Allen on, on QB-designed runs. And I just feel like in the nature of the NFL, like, they don't want him doing as much no. as that. But, you know, we'll see if that rolls over, you know, to the start of the season. Um, one of the other spots here that I think is interesting, it's not a new offensive coordinator. We're, well, the, on one side it is, but uh, we're going to talk a lot about these like these new and like ambiguous situations. But I think there is some ambiguity here based on just the quarterback move. And let, let's talk a little 49ers Bears, mm. probably not a game that's going to get like a ton of traction. Um, because it doesn't have a huge game toll or anything. But I think it's one of the more intriguing games of week one because of what we care about for future, right? We want to see these teams immediately week one so we can start that calibration process. Let's start with the 49ers side and, you know, Trey Lance finally officially taking over. You know, we'll see, you know, how much if the rug gets pulled, there's a loose with the football situation here. But Trey Lance is going to be the San Francisco 49ers starting quarterback in week one. He offers something, some kind of ceiling here that, you know, Kyle Shanahan hasn't had, but there also is a very different floor here for this offense as well. And I'm curious just from a top-down stance, because I haven't heard you talk about, you know, Trey Lance's offseason, like what you're expecting from this offense mm -hmm. and how it impacts the pass catchers here on the San Francisco side, because the investment in Debo Samuel was a second-round pick. The investment in George Kittle was a top-five tight end. People are hopeful and are following the buzz of Brandon Ayuk. Uh, you know, what are we thinking that we're going to see here out of the box here from Trey Lance and the 49ers? It should be good and it should take the Bears a, a bit uh, off guard because I think that the 49ers didn't show us anything. So what's exciting about Trey Lance? Why are we excited about Trey Lance? Because the Kyle Shanahan system which incorporates all of these play action looks. They scheme players open. It, it, look at the, even Nick Mullins, right? Had a good yards per attempt piloting that offense. The offense sets up the quarterback for success in the running game. I'm sorry, in the passing game. And that's just teams having to be flexibly minded, malleable to what they see, right? The Kyle Shanahan offense tests the defenders to make the right decisions. And what do you have in this game? Jaquan Brisker, Kyler Gordon, probably going to play big roles in the secondary, mm -hmm. right? A tough test, right? Rich, you can look at this like for the 49ers, this is like when Alabama opens up against Georgia Southern. Well, App State did beat Michigan that one time. But I have to say that because you're in the state of Ohio, right? Uh, for Chicago, on the other hand, for this defense, my Eberflus is putting together – this is a really stiff test. This is like a, a midterm or a final in week one. 
defending this offense when you add these 11 on 11 looks. And I don't think in the preseason, Kyle Shanahan showed anybody what the true 11 on 11 looks are going to be. I think there were plays that just looked kind of ordinary because those plays are actually going to turn into design Trey Lance runs. And the last time we saw a running quarterback piloting a Kyle Shanahan offense was Robert Griffin III in his rookie year. He was, depending on your scoring system, the number one fantasy quarterback on a points-per-game basis. And he didn't have Brandon Ayuk. He didn't have Debo Samuel. He didn't have George Kittle or even Danny Gray. Let's remember that name because Danny Gray looked like the guy, and this is like a deep DFS lineup diversity guy, right? He's the guy that if you have the play where Trey Lance throws it as far as he can, Danny Gray runs under it. That could end up being the real trump card for this offense. So I think we're going to see a lot of looks that we haven't seen. I think we're going to see some young Bears defenders put in bad positions. And it should be a success for San Francisco. And it should be a success for San Francisco on defense. Uh, I think that whatever you ask Justin Fields to do to make a step forward, again, it's going to be a little rougher for the offenses this week than the defenses. So, you know, West Coast team traveling east, you never know, but this should be a cakewalk for them. Yeah, on the other side of the ball, you know, Justin Fields is a guy who is almost like a proxy for fantasy football of what Lance has to offer, you know, uh, you know, similar similar draft picks, they're, you know, mobile quarterbacks, but doesn't have quite the insulation in terms of, you know, insulation and foundation that, you know, right. the 49ers can provide. But we did see, you know, kind of Luke Getzky in this offense, you know, in the preseason kind of show like they want to get the ball out on the intermediate level of the field, you know, and, and move Justin Fields around in the pocket a lot more than he did as a rookie. Uh, you know, that, that was kind of his thing. You know, that's a, an Ohio State system thing. You know, these guys are standing back there and waiting for those deep crossers, and those deep digs to get wide open, uh, you know, at the collegiate level. And it's kind of hurt them a little bit of growth in the quick game in the NFL. But we've seen the quick game in you know, kind of, you know, being installed, you know, for the Bears this preseason, um, you know, how optimistic are you that, you know, maybe Justin Fields could be one of these like, you know, underpriced, you know, kind of Konami type quarterbacks right. or, or is it just like, there's just not enough around here to make this thing kind of happen. I'm glad you said Konami good. You know, every time I say Konami code on my chair, I say, what's up, Rich? I don't know if, you, <laughs> if your nose gets itchy or your ear tingles or something. Uh, I think that we know statistically that, for Justin Fields to be a fantasy bust or otherwise not live up to a very modest ADP, he would have to be a horrible passer uh, or just lose the physical talent that made him a top 12, 11, when they take him pick. Uh, so I think that he's going to be successful for fantasy. And I actually think the misery of the Bears will give him garbage time game scripts, and he could end up actually maybe rivaling what Jalen Hurts did, which gives you a low-end quarterback one. So for fantasy, that's going to work out. And I think you mentioned the key thing, which is they're moving him around. This is a terrible offensive line. The guard play might be improved if Tevin Jenkins is better as a guard. The interior offensive line is okay. The guard tackles, good luck. I mean, this is just, we'll see. Uh, going against Nick Bosa. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. especially this team. Yeah, so it's rational to move the pocket around. It's rational to have design rollouts. It's rational to use that mobility. And they've even said things this summer, Rich, like we're practicing scramble drills now. We didn't do that. Like that's going to be, and the guy that's in the uh, target, the bullseye for me is Darnell Mooney. And I think that even just an incremental improvement in efficiency for this offense has nowhere to go but up. If Darnell Mooney had a thousand yards last year. So Darnell Mooney, so let's talk about, uh, summertime, Rich, right? Remember when you were like middle school and sometimes you would come back from the summer 
maybe you hung out with some friends and some friends live in your neighborhood, and then, but there'd be some kids you didn't see all summer. Mm-hmm. And sometimes kids would hit puberty over the summer, yep, yep. right? And they would come back and be, whoa, you're, I don't, you wouldn't look like this in May. And I think Darnell Mooney, and we're especially looking at like third year players. We didn't mention this with Dawson Knox, Gabriel Davis, for instance. There are going to be some players that when we see them come back to school in week one, we're going to say, okay. And I think Darnell Mooney could be one of those guys, especially based on the reporting we've been seeing from guys, people like Dan Pompey. Obviously, Cole Komet is the other player. There's a cast of, anonymous wide receivers after that i don't know how they're really going to use those guys we'll see what san francisco does to try to hold down darnell mooney because i think when you say scramble drill and you think of darnell mooney's speed that's where you say maybe there's an advantage the bears can exploit here although at ohio state i didn't see justin fields as a quarterback who naturally thought of attacking as a passer when the play broke down is that something that luke getsy can help him with uh again this is another one of those ones where we might overreact to week one it might be miserable for chicago's offense uh but those are the players we should need to be watching yeah i mean just the 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 matchup of defensive line versus the offensive line is such skewed you know dramatically objectively on paper but when you do think about the 49ers where they like maybe objectively don't have the greatest talent it's with all the parts they've had moving on the back end Mm -hmm. and you know if you You can just hit hit a couple yeah. Because we know the targets are where they're going to in Chicago. Like they're going to Darnell Moody and Cole Komet. So, right. you know, on a weekly basis, you're just hoping to hit like, you know, that big play or two. Staying with the NFC North, two of the most fascinating teams, I think, coming into the start of the season are going to be Green Bay and Minnesota. You get that nice rivalry game, like right off rip. Uh, you know, the Packers are very interesting overall because, you know, obviously removing a player of the ilk of Devontae Adams from your offense. And I know a lot of people have brought up these splits with Devontae Adams, right, over the last couple of years, you know, they've won seven games in a row without him. It's very different, you know, adjusting for a game to win a week or, or one to two weeks in a season than coming in without a player like Devontae Adams for the entire course of a season. Uh, and, you know, the, so, so the splits to me, like, I don't want to say I'm going to throw the baby out of the bathwater, but like, they don't they don't hold a lot of water for me though. Uh so I mean you're looking at this Packers team. We don't know if Alan Lazard's gonna play early in the week. We don't know if Christian Watson's gonna play early in the week. So we've got a game that these two teams had a monster shootout last year. So we're removing Dante Adams from the fold. Like how confident are we that like this game could could reach kind of the hype without the weaponry that the Packers might have, or do the, do you believe are you buying the hype that the, the Packers are just going to turn, like be this like two back offense, this two back prong offense, play slow, rely on their defense and just try to suffocate teams. I think that's it. I think they already have the template and I, to maybe add a little bit of a counterpoint. Uh, it was a seven game sample on the uh, Packers without Devonte Adams and they won like back in 2019 they won at dallas they won at kansas mm-hmm. city you know they won some games that they won at arizona last year without him so the offense has been resilient and i think part of that's because since matt lafleur is you know kyle shanahan tree it's going to be based on the running game and this is going to be a good running offense and aaron Rodgers is still one of the best quarterbacks in the league And he, I think, will be fine because this offense is going to leverage that backfield. I think this is going to be a game where, and this is going to be because it's in Minnesota. So when they play this game in Lambeau, it can be Green Bay really coming out on top. But I do think you're going to see, 
we'll get into this in a second, I'm sure. You also have a reveal on the other side with Minnesota mm-hmm. and their new offense. But in Green Bay, you have maybe the best front seven in the league. You certainly have a very formidable defense. And I think you are going to see this offense run through Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. And especially with Alan Lazard dealing with some undisclosed issue and uh, uncertain for this week. I, I think you really, you just need this good offensive line. David Bakhtiari, it sounds like he's going to play. Uh, they Elton Jenkins maybe is the less uh, certain to play of the two, but they still have uh, the Packers offensive tackle picks are going to become like the Steelers wide receiver picks soon before paying attention to save another one Zach Tom. So that offensive, you have offensive line, you have a good running game. You have an offense that's really drilled and runs their playbook really crisply. In this Minnesota defense, I, I think this is not the strength of the team. I think the offense is going to function fine. I don't know if it's going to be a massive four or five touchdown game for Aaron Rodgers, but I do think you could easily see Randall Cobb. So this could be your Sammy Watkins 150-yard two-touchdown game, and then we don't hear from him again for the rest of the season. Uh, Romeo Dubes, obviously Dobbs. Dobbs, Dubes? I always, my brain doesn't know what to say when I say his name, but, <laughs> but we, let's just call him our, our, Where Art Thou, Romeo, maybe downfield making some plays. Um, we'll see about Robert Tunyon. But I think that offensive line, plus these running backs, plus Aaron Rodgers, plus this playbook, this offense is going to be just fine. If I, if I had to force you to pick a Packers wide receiver yeah. for week one? Cobb. I think it's Cobb. Folks, okay. go back and look. And if Cobb got five or more targets in a game last year, most of the time he was a good fantasy pick. And he was the guy in the red zone last year. He was scoring a lot of short touchdowns. Yep. And it, it just makes sense. Look, whatever statistics, however we project things, Aaron Rodgers is going to throw to the guys that do what he expects them to do, that finish his sentence for him. That Cobb is the guy he specifically said, if I'm going to keep playing, you have to bring this guy back. So as long as and Randall Cobb might be one of those guys, Rich, that maybe we only get seven or eight true healthy weeks out of him. But of those seven or eight weeks, I've got a feeling at least four or five will be fantasy relevant. And, you know, uh, Cobb, he was 24th among all wide receivers last year and expected red zone fantasy points. So that was kind of his the, the bread and butter. Yeah. I know a lot of people are going to be kind of pulling that Sammy Watkins week one. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> and you'll see well, that. Because you'll we see can that. see it coming, that's when it's not going to happen. Right? <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. That's what happens. Um, uh, on the other side of the ball, obviously, say we're going to get this reveal now with Kevin O'Connell, you know, coming at the, the latest of the McVay tree, uh, you know, getting a chance to coach in the NFL. Uh, And this is a team, when you look at the Vikings and their passing volume compared to the Rams, like people are going to bring up like, oh, well, really, how much different can it be? From a volume stance, it's not. What it's going to be is like principle-based. It's going to be a lot more aggressive and early down passing. It's going to be schematically putting Kirk Cousins in a better position than he has been in previous years and iterations of this offense, you know, playing behind Mike Zimmer, who's tried to pull the rug out on multiple offenses too. Um, you know, you look at Kirk Cousins, you know, almost all of his pass attempts came in like terrible situations, second long, third and long. Um, 29% of his passes came on third down. That was the third highest rate in the league. Like he's going to get a lot more favorable situations in early downs. And then also people bring up the 11 personnel change. And we saw the Vikings, they use 72% 11 personnel in the preseason. That's coming. What does that mean for Dalvin Cook? Because Dalvin Cook historically has been a guy that just hasn't had a lot of opportunities running against light boxes to this point in his career in the NFL due to the offenses he's been in. And, you know, is there kind of upside here, even in a a potentially bad matchup against a a mismatch of offensive line versus front seven here? Uh, 
What are we? What are, I want to hear your Dalvin Cook yeah. take. Is there a bounce back take here? Because I think yeah. we all are just know like Justin Jefferson, yay. But what about the rest of the Vikings? Yeah, I, I, you have to be optimistic here. And we already talked about Chicago. So I have what I call the ding dong, the witch is dead factor. And it's that bounce. It's a bounce in terms of playbook, in terms of team culture and atmosphere, locker room, all kinds of stuff of these offenses that are no longer under the thumb of whoever the villain is, right? Matt Nagy in Chicago, uh, Jason Garrett, Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge for the Giants, uh, Urban Meyer for Jacksonville. I don't know if there's really a villain in Miami, but you know that's going to be another offense yeah. with a big new reveal. But maybe these offenses, especially with these young quarterbacks or unproven quarterbacks, uh, they're the ones that we're a little ahead of ourselves. Maybe it's not until midseason. Maybe it's not until next season that the change really manifests through fantasy numbers and efficiency and production. But then there are other offenses, Rich, where there's a ding-dong, the witch's dead factor, and you have a veteran quarterback. And this is one of them, right? The witch here being Mike Zimmer. And uh, another one I'll just point out, in case we don't talk about them, is Indianapolis, and the witch is uh, Carson Wentz. Just that Matt, Matt Ryan is there, and it runs like an NFL offense. Uh, there's no villain in Detroit. Anthony Villain isn't a villain, but that's another offense, I think, with a whole offseason to implement what Ben Johnson wants to do. It's going to be really fascinating to watch Detroit. But going back to Minnesota, uh, there's just so much optimism. There's so much excitement from the players, except maybe Adam Thielen, who like, I have to do as much work as I've ever had to do. But the point being here that this should be a revitalized offense. The offensive line should get a little bit better. Christian Darisaw has had really good summer their left tackle who really didn't contribute much last year and that then leads us to Kirk Cousins the ultimate system quarterback right so he can he can execute a system he's not necessarily going to add a lot of value outside of structure but he can execute a system so they're excited about it if you already have Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen who are very good in the roles that they have occupied and you add in KJ Osborne who's another player who's had a lot of buzz this summer more than one person that visited camp said, hey, he could catch a uh, thousand yards this year. You have 3,000 yard receivers in this offense. That's not that outlandish. And then you come back to Dalvin Cook. One of the things that surprised me, Rich, looking back through the numbers, Dalvin Cook in 2020 was, I think, more than two points a game better than Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor in yeah. 2021. And that was in an offense that didn't set him up for success the way that this offense could. So I do think after this game, or maybe a few weeks into the season, knock on wood, Dalvin Cook stays healthy. We may look back, Rich, and say it should have been McCaffrey, Taylor, and Cook at the top of our drafts instead, and and Eckler. Uh, Because if this offense gives him a bump, he already showed that he can outscore the player we're taking number one or number two Mm -hmm. in a lot of drafts in a situation that isn't as good as this one. Yeah, yeah, and I've been on that that trade all summer, so love hearing it. It's all it all comes down to that shoulder for him. You know, the the, the number change number four, I feel like is giving him a leaner look. Uh, Any time those guys yeah. have a single digit number, uh, they start to look a little cleaner. Uh, one of the teams you let in there is where I was going. We were going to go to Miami because this Miami New England game. Uh, talk about reveal! Like, there's a lot here that was revealed in the preseason uh, for New England that was not very endearing. To, to any of our hearts. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a team that is basically letting this offense be helmed by Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, and it looked apart. Like, if you would believe an offense helmed by those guys would look in the preseason. Now, granted, it's just the preseason, but the Patriots are an offense, I think, that were a lot better last year than people remember them being. 
I mean, they were second in the NFL in scoring rate per drive behind the Chiefs. Um, and they looked downright just defunctory in the, in the preseason. You know, Josh McDaniels being gone. Uh, you know, you add Devontae Parker, who's like a, a guy that they didn't have in that offense, like a big physical guy, but like also a guy that like, is Mac Jones the tight window type of thrower? Like, is he going to give Devontae Parker those chances? I mean, Devontae Parker's really been good with one type of quarterback in the NFL, and it was Ryan Fitzpatrick for a reason. Um, and then on the other side of the ball with Miami, you know, this is a team that me and Dan Pazuda on the channel have talked about a lot. Like, the, the Dolphins built a team like the way I would build a team. Like, they did the old Madden thing. Like, we're going to sort attribute by speed, and we're just going to get all the fastest guys we can. Uh, and I'm, I want to know how confident you are coming into the season from a fantasy stance, if you're a gamer that drafted Chase Edmonds where he was going, how confident you are starting him in week one. And on the flip side of that with the Patriots, uh, how confident are you playing a guy like Ramondre Stevenson considering right now if Ty Montgomery doesn't play? Yeah, you might play Stevenson if Montgomery is inactive, strictly because if you're going to get some percentage of the early down touches and the third down touches, go back and look. Once Ramondre Stevenson showed what he could do when Damian Harris was out midway through the season, I don't believe Harris had more than 11 carries in a game after that. So all this talk about the changing of the guard well, already started to happen. I'm not saying that Stevenson is going to push Damian Harris and have a true, be create a true lead back that we haven't really seen there. But I do think Stevenson's clearly going to be the better play of the two if you have to go with one. And then Montgomery status is the other variable. This is going to, I think this is going to be a slot fest, Rich. I think this is going to be, a, the only touchdown might be on defense or special teams in this game. <laughs> because if you look on the Miami side, they've been selling us to a really hard, you notice that? Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like they really want us to think too is just this revelation. Like too hard. Okay. No, he's not a better passer than Patrick Mahomes. I can see when a deep ball is <laughs> underthrown. I, I mean, I, I've watched enough football to notice when a receiver is slowing down. And I'm not saying that Mike McDaniel won't come up with some schematic advantages having and Jalen Waddles practicing, so that's good. So ideally, if you're Mike McDaniel, your job here is not coming from San Francisco where you use the running game to step the pass. It's using the defenses. And it, it, there's lots of fascinating layers here for the chess part of football, right? Because, well, Mike McDaniel is a head coach in his first game is going to face Bill Belichick. And that, it, it, Rich, can't you just see a few foreign object in the trunks, like the referees looking away and the chair comes in the ring kind of moments <laughs> where Mike McDaniel's like, that's not fair. You know, like, oh, you're really going to learn how it is to be a head coach in the NFL now going up against Bill Belichick. So I think Belichick's defense is probably going to beat Mike McDaniel to the punch on some things or otherwise try to keep him from dictating the term of, of engagement there. I still think it's good, probably going to be a good Tyree kill game. We're going to see Mike Jasicki probably blocking more. Maybe Mike McDaniel schemes up some stuff so that when he does target Jasicki, he's super efficient but it all comes back to Tua and then you mentioned the backfield there uh this morning McDaniel said Tuesday morning someone asked him about the backfield and he said oh you have some fantasy decisions to make <laughs> this has been one of the most competitive backfields uh, I've been a part of so he's not saying anything uh they let Tony Michelle go that seems to be a good sign for Raheem Mostert Rich, I'm even interested if Salvin Ahmed is up because he's the guy on the this backfield that has the best initial burst he, he's the guy that 
actually, I think, can put a mark on this backfield as in the same way that Moster can, but we know Moster can't stay healthy as that guy that is maybe the home run hitter that Chase Edmonds isn't. And Miles Gaskin is still a good utilitarian back. But on the New England side, I think it's going to be a little miserable because of the offensive line issues. Isaiah Wynn is uncertain because Joe Judge and Matt Patricia running an offense. What could go wrong? Is this just... Rich, we're oldsters, so we've watched a lot of sports in our time, and we've seen like great players play past that point when the game is telling them like it's not your time anymore. Is this the first moment of the game telling Bill Belichick maybe it's not your time anymore? At least the way he's leaned in on offense and the way he's come up with this. Oh, I'm just going to bring back my guys. Really, Joe Judge and Matt Patricia? Like that's the answer. I'm very skeptical about a lot of things on both sides of this game on offense. I trust these defenses. Miami had continuity on defense. Josh Boyer's back. They have a tremendous edge rush with Emmanuel Ogba. Jalen Phillips, I think, is a rising star. They won't have Byron Jones. He's still on mm-hmm. uh, the PUP list to open the season. But you do have a, you know, have a ball-hawking secondary. You have a, now you don't have Brian Flores. He's with Pittsburgh now. But a defense that likes to create chaos. What is the... What does Miami like to do? They like to say, we're going to dare you to beat us. We're going to put you in an uncomfortable situation. And if you're able to transcend that, then good on you. Is that Mac Jones? Is that Mac Jones at this point in his career with Judge and Patricia, the architects? I don't think so. I think this is going to be an ugly game. Yeah, I'm really looking at it from like the the Miami stance. And, you know, Miami was the one thing in the preseason that they did show us, too, is that you're going to have this kind of overall. This offense is going to be more multiple than previous iterations of the Shannon offensives mm-hmm. were. And we saw like they're going to this is they're going to play a lot more 11 personnel. They gave us that signal initially when they went and signed Cedric Wilson yep. uh, right away. And then you add Tyreek. Um but yeah, I mean, this is uh, an offense that was really slow in the preseason. Like, uh, the, like all that pre-snap motion, all that movement, uh, you know, with with Tua, you know, it's going to be an offense that, like, this game could easily have one of the fewest like overall play volumes uh, yes. in this game um, because there's it's still going to be predicated on that run game, you know, that right. that run game for the Dolphins. So. Yeah, it's definitely one that I'm watching. I'm very curious, too, that we didn't talk about the, the New England defensive side of the ball, but, you know, they, they've lost J.C. Jackson. They lost Kyle Vinoy, Dante Hightower. Finally, the, the sun is set there. Uh, he's still floating out there in free agency. But, I mean, defensively, too, like the, they've got a bunch of moving parts on that side of the ball, too, that's going to be really intriguing uh, to see how they gel early in the season as well. Yeah, and I'll just say with J.C. Jackson, they've been able to, having that shutdown corner, play more man coverage, leverage that more. And I think you might see them have to play more zone and it might make more sense to play zone when you have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle able to take the top off the defense anyway. Mm -hmm. So it'll definitely be interesting to see if Bill Belichick, the chess master he is tries to induce, and doesn't this just uh, fit right in with Tua as a check down quarterback. Tua is not a challenge, the defense quarterback. And I don't think that in Mike McDaniel's offense, he's going to ask him to do that either. I don't think he's going to ask him to sit back there and survey the field and pick a defense apart. I think he's going to be operating within structure and advantages that the play designs make for him. So I think we might see more dinking and dunking by design in part because the New England without J.C. Jackson, that's a massive loss for them. Massive. Uh, With the Chargers now, uh, they can't do the things on defense that they're used to doing. Uh, from, from Tyreek Hill's new team to his old team, I feel like the Chiefs are kind of quietly like going a little under the radar. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just, just from, how they like it. 
Yeah, just from a fantasy stance, I think maybe just because the ambiguity like has pushed, you know, Travis Kelsey's the only real expensive like fantasy option. Even Mahomes is like a relative like he he's, he might be kind of a deal when we look back on things yeah. uh, this offseason, like where Mahomes was going in drafts compared to where he was the last two years. And I'm curious your take on the transition of removing Tyreek Hill from this offense. You know, obviously this was a team that, that integrated, embrained the too high safety into like football nomenclature like the last two years, right? Even though it's stuff that's existed for 50 years of football. But it became broad stream for fantasy analysts to talk about. And it, if the preseason is any indication, this is a team that wants to play a little heavier. You know, they've got a, they built a really good offensive line in just one offseason last year. Uh, they've also by hit going heavier, it allows them to, to get Travis Kelsey, still their best pass catcher, maybe in more advantageous situations than, a, you know, a year ago where he's constantly split out. You can get him on more linebackers, uh, get him in some favorable situations. So now that he's 33 years old and then you add guys like Juju and potentially, you know, Sky Moore getting on the field, like this offense is going to look a lot different than what we've seen in the last couple of years. Yeah, I think that the way defenses play them might look different, too. Uh, Vance Joseph is going to be tasked with this facing this new look Kansas City offense. Uh, he did face Mahomes a couple of times as a head coach, and Mahomes didn't have massive success in Denver, but they did have a four-touchdown game uh, when they played in Kansas City. And I do think it's possible. Look, this is the Arizona team that lost Chandler Jones, Marcus Golden, their best remaining pass rusher. He's questionable for this week. So you're not really going to be containing, because wasn't that the order of business last year, to contain this offense? You can't, you can't stop them, but you can contain them. And that's what the two high safety was about. And then you saw evolution, maybe not evolution in terms of fantasy, because it didn't result in bigger fantasy numbers, but evolution in terms of the direction of the team and more of a take what the defense gives you approach. Now, without Tyree Kill out there, yes, you have Marcus Valdez-Scantling's vertical speed. Will defenses respect Mahomes to that extent and just concede a lot close to the line of scrimmage to take away the deep ball? I don't know. And I, I, I'm not necessarily trusting Vance Joseph and Arizona to react rationally in the way that they should. I would expect Patrick Mahomes to have a lot of success. I would expect Travis Kelsey to have a lot of success, although we'll see. You know, they've got um, some very athletic linebackers, Isaiah Simmons, Zayvon Collins there. They've got the probably the best safe. They just locked up Jalen Thompson. So they've got Thompson and Buda Baker. So if there is a strength in this defense, it is up the middle. And maybe that could... It, we could see more of what's in the playbook for Nicole Hardman, what's in the playbook for Sky Moore, more things to stretch the defense horizontally than vertically. Uh, but I, I do think we saw this Kansas City offense evolve and be responsive to what's working, what's not working, and what they have to leverage it. Uh, and I, I just I would think that Arizona is the Kansas is going to have to drop when Arizona uh, has the ball too, because what do we have here? Rich, who are we sure that's going to be healthy for the Arizona offense, right? Uh, mm -hmm. James Conner and uh, A.J. Green and Marquise Brown, and we'll see. But I, I do think that with Arizona, with Kyler Murray, we saw a big drop-off in efficiency in this offense when DeAndre Hopkins was out last year. And we have to be skeptical about whether this is going to be – it still might be a productive offense just because of furious – play from behind comeback attempts in the second half 
because of the problems they have. What happened? One of their starting corners, and I mean, it's terrible. Yeah, Antonio Hamilton. Hurt himself cooking. I mean, th- this has been the kind of year it's been for the Arizona Cardinals secondary, or at least at the cornerback position. So this game feels like one that's not going to instill a lot of hope for Arizona fans. And like you said, have Kansas City fans and folks who drafted Patrick Mahomes thinking like, oh, yeah, we got this figured out. Have you been on the Juju bounce back train? Or are you Not at the price. Else? Not, I mean, look, if I'm having a choice between Juju and Amon Ross St. Brown, who has so much momentum, or a choice between Juju and Darnell Mooney, who we talked about, maybe even Juju and Michael Thomas, right? Because it's a similar narrative, right, similar yeah. idea. You know, yeah. players who've had injury issues that have held them back and in a situation that sets them up for great success. And we have some reason. But look, I think we're doing detective work here when we say, why did Juju Smith-Schuster at 23? at 24, not get a long-term deal. And then you see that this knee is something that he's having to nurse in training Mm -hmm. camp. And it's like Occam's razor to say, well, that probably had something to do with it. A team looking at his knee and saying, we're not sure how long, we're not going to put 30 or 40 million guaranteed, 20 million a year on that knee holding up. So that's something that I'm going to be watching. But I do think that as a, a guy that can provide layups for Patrick Mahomes, I understand why there was that high end range of outcomes, but I think he was being drafted closer to that ceiling than the mean or the medium. And uh, I think that the next question is, well, if the knee is a problem, does that mean we should have our contingencies ready for Sky Moore? Probably not Michael Hardman. I think we know what he can do. Or the name we haven't mentioned yet, Clyde Edwards-Dulaire. I think that's a guy that we could also be coming out of week one saying, oh, we were all way too low on it. Uh, if they're talking about having him conditioned to play seven, eight, nine, ten plays in a row, and you also have the one player who does have some chemistry, maybe this is where he gets more involved in the passing game. So it, it is that second guy. We know it's going to support Kelsey. Who's the second guy going to be? It might not support a third guy. And the other thing I want to point out here, Rich, because I know we've all been chasing Kansas City, right? Receivers. Because it's mm-hmm. like well, somebody's undervalued. But if you remember when it was Kelsey and Hill, there was never a third guy who was consistent. Every week it would change, right? It would be Demarcus Robinson. It would be McCall Hardman. Is it possible that there's just not going to be a second guy that is consistent week to week in this offense? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, it very well could. It could be game plan dependent, especially if they yes. do go heavier like they did in the preseason. If it's not, if we don't see as much as those receivers on the field, you know, in that rotation going on, it absolutely could be. Yeah, yeah you I brought think, up a, yeah. a guy on the other side of the ball that, you know, you already brought up Randall Cobb. So, like, if there ever was a week, and I'm not saying anyone in the other seasonal league needs to go in and get him, but this is, will be a popular, you know, game stacking game. I mean, if there ever was a runway for a 34-year-old wide receiver, it would be week <laughs> one. And, uh, I mean, you kind of – A.J. Green kind of has an all right layout, you know, yeah. when you when you look at it. I mean, Rondell Moore, we'll see if he plays. Zach Ertz, probably not going to play. So you have a rookie tight end, Trey, Mc, Trey McBride, playing. Uh, we don't have DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, Antoine Wesley's not going to play. And the Chiefs are another team when you look at, like, personnel changes, like – they're going to be starting some young cornerbacks. I mean, they lost Traverius Ward. They did replace, you know, Tyron Matthew at Justin Reed, but you know, Trent McDuffie's going to get thrown in here and on on a in a in a climate here where he's going to find his way to AJ Green because we know Jerry Sneed's going to be on the inside. So, like, if there ever was a week if you're stacking this game to maybe throw in a cheap dart on that game stack, I mean, it might be the, these old guys fresh in the season 
uh, you know, might be AJ Green yeah. pop. <laughs> well, I think, and I think that if you get your decoder ring out, Rich, it's like if we're <laughs> previewing the Cardinals game and we're talking about AJ Green as a potential warm zone in this offense, that means it's a bad week for the offense. That, right. If that's the one of the options that Kai, well, and look, this has been an offense that we're still waiting for to have a process, right? We're still waiting for this offense to consistently show us, like in the way that some of these other offenses we talked about, San Francisco, uh, every week they have a a very rigorous and deliberate way of putting defenses in positions that they don't want to be in. I don't feel like ever, I mean, Kyler Murray can do that in the context of what he can do in a play that defenses just can't match but not in the way they deploy their personnel, not in the way they call plays, not in the way they execute. And I think, again, this is a game that could be set up for Kansas City to win and win easily. Yeah, I've been a little scared on the Arizona side. You know, obviously, you know, we're going to play guys like Kyler and Hollywood. Uh, yeah, right. that's, it was, I was getting pushed to, to, to A.J. Green. Well, Eno, and Eno, this could be a good Eno Benjamin. This could be a good Eno Benjamin reveal game because if it's a game script where Arizona's playing from behind and a game script uh, where Kansas City slows things down, like you said, shortens the game, which makes sense. Uh, well, how much Eno Benjamin do we see in the second half? How much does his role mirror what Chase Edmonds had? Or is mm-hmm. it really the James Conner show? Uh, I think that's maybe like a down ticket reveal in the Arizona offense that there's been a constant drumbeat from Cliff Kingsbury yeah. about Eno Benjamin. So we'll see how eager he is to use him in this one. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, I've been following that all off season. We were, we were ahead on Eno and it's like, but still, you know, within context, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, yeah, the chiefs definitely are, I feel like one of those like kind of, you know, teams that like no one's really super excited about to the level that we could be. But I mean, like you said, it could be one of those reasons where they like, they're just scoring like 28, 32 points a week. And it's, Travis Kelsey and just like a, a rotating door of guys exactly. like weekly uh, to do it. Uh, what could be rotating door as well, you know, is this Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense, you know, on Sunday night, you know, we're going to get this same matchup where we started last year and it was a tremendous way to start last year. But both of these teams kind of have a lot of ancillary pieces that like don't give you like the greatest feelings that this game could like really get to the levels that did last year obviously you know Amari Cooper and Cedric Wilson are now gone for the Cowboys James Washington gets hurt in the preseason Jalen Tolbert looks like oh maybe he isn't going to hit the ground running Tyron Smith now gets hurt Mm -hmm. we've got to rotate this offensive line a little bit and this is already an offensive line that wasn't really the Dallas Cowboys offensive line of yesteryear last year layoff Collins is gone as well and then the Buck side we don't know if Chris Godwin's really going to play. And if he does play, we still are anticipating it's going to be in a small capacity. Russell Gage is back practicing, but he has really had no time with Tom Brady like this preseason, uh, given the time that Brady's been gone and Russell Gage has dealt with his hamstring. So, I mean, do we have another situation where another old guy, Julio yeah. Jones, uh, could be in a position here to, to be useful in week one? This is another game I feel like it's going to disappoint, right? Like yeah. It's a, it's the Sunday night game. And if you're waiting for points from players in this game, you might not get the points you need to put you over the top in your week one fantasy matchup. Uh, again, skepticism is a word that keeps coming up in my head when I think about some of these offenses and teams we're talking about. With Tampa Bay, I think the biggest issue, I mean, there's injury issues with 
Russell Gage and his undisclosed injury with Julio Jones, it's like week to week. He's just week to week. It doesn't even matter whether he's on the injury report. He's week to week at this point in his career. Uh, Mike Evans has already had a hamstring. And Chris Godwin, we're not 100% sure he's going to play, right? He's practicing without a knee brace. But this team wants to play into January, February. They're not going to rush him back. But the bigger question here is the problems they've had with their offensive line. Mm-hmm. They they traded they did at least trade for Shaq Mason, but they had Ali Marpet retire. Alex Kappa left in free agency. Um, they lost Ryan Jensen for the year. Then they lose Aaron Stinney for the year, who was one of the backup guards. Then they come in with Hainsey, the, the backup now starting center. He's banged up. Nick Leverett, who maybe is their t- a, a starting guard or at least a top backup on the interior line. So the interior offensive line is hurting, and that pressure up the gut is just lethal for an offense even tom brady i mean especially where he's at in his career if the cowboys can generate pressure and certainly they were able to do that last year with the opportunistic defense they had in the back end they were able to make some plays and tom brady doesn't shy away from making throws he's not a conservative quarterback so i I do think that it, it could be rough going on that side uh because of dallas winning in the trenches and then like you said with tampa with this offensive line, you know, they let Lyle Collins go with Terrence Steele is the plan there. Now they have Jason Peters on the practice squad. Tyler Smith would be a disaster. I, if Tyler Smith's the starting left half, forget about it. Joe, Joe Tryon, there's some IDP props we can hit here, like sacks, you know, <laughs> with Joe, Joe Tryon, Shoinka, right? Or Shaq Barrett. Um, I think that this Cowboys offense has a lot more to prove because they don't they aren't putting defenses on their heels, right? Without a uh, healthy Michael Gallup, without Amari Cooper. Now, yes, there's CD Lamb and yes, if this game ends up being one of futility for the Dallas offense, does that then lead to just a two-man game with Dak and Lamb? I mean, that's what you're hoping for if you drafted CD Lamb. Is that there's this two-man game that that's what's going to work and whatever the playbook says, hopefully Dak isn't too narrow-minded and running plays as designed because remember the last time we saw Dak against San Francisco, he looked kind of robotic, right? And he looked like he wasn't able to take advantage of the advantages he had against the defense because he he was a little bit too linear in his thinking. He's not a player that we've seen do a lot outside of structure or otherwise kind of an Aaron Rodgers way say, I don't care what the play call is. This is what's working. This is what I'm going to do. Right. So we're hoping for that. But the the other reveal here, I think is just going to be Tony Pollard. And that is one where you may see rich. It might even be not a big success for Tony Pollard that night. But the way he's used in the game could be something that portends what's coming down the line because he was actually working with one of their quality control offensive coaches on specifically learning the slot position. Anybody with eyes could see he was the most explosive player in the offense last year. So is it possible that this is the year in his last year of his rookie contract? They say we've got to get what we can. we got to get more. This is the answer to our offensive woes. It's the Cowboys. So I'm not counting on it, but that's the player that I'm going to really perk up when I see him in the huddle. Yeah, I mean that that's Dallas offense. I'm absolutely like with the you know Jesse with the caffeine pills. I'm so excited, so scared at the same time because <laughs> they could be one of these things where yeah, like CD Lamb is just getting jammed at targets, and we're like, yes, this is amazing. But it also this feels like it could be 
uh, an offense that just caves in on itself. You know, if CD Lamb is all they have, and you know, a guy like Dalton Schultz now is not, he has nowhere to hide now in the offense. Like defenses now know that, like, hey, Dalton Schultz is the second best pass catcher that this team has, and this is, is it doesn't end up a situation like how like Austin Hooper was when he had to like elevate his game. Uh, so I mean, it, it is very scary situation. Um, you know, I, I definitely still want to believe in Kellen Moore and what he can do, but this is a especially against the defense they're going it's top bowls especially because i mean the heat's coming i mean they yes just, like the heat's quick coming, decisions but. yeah <laughs> uh we, we know what todd bowles is gonna do so i mean yeah Sweep i'm looking the leg yep i'm looking at this game though yeah and i'm the same way um you know looking at this game and all the moving pieces and the guys that may or may not play and it's like this game definitely could, could be way under the expectations uh let's bring it home here uh, with with a look at just you know the Monday night game, we wouldn't spend mm-hmm. really any time mm-hmm. on Seattle, but with the, the whole theme of this, as you said, you, it's been reveals, right? We've been talking about all these situations we want illumination towards, uh, and we've been talking about all these players that we're looking for, like this kind of to kind of get the ball rolling. And so I said we start that that revelation and that calibration. And the Broncos are a team that I'm probably the most excited to see play. For a number of reasons, not just from a fancy stance of like, oh, I've drafted these guys and we're going to try to figure some things out. But I want to know, does this offense end up looking like every Russell Wilson offense we've ever seen? Or is there some kind of marriage between Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett? You know, we saw like this system kind of it didn't unlock Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is a great player, but Aaron Rodgers openly talked about how the structure of the system got him throwing over the middle of the football field more. Russ has not really done that. You know, every Russ has, uh, you know, been kind of, he's gotten a little bit of a free pass of the Seattle offenses, uh, but, you know, they all kind of evolve into Russell Wilson, you know, not really taking free throws and doing what Russell Wilson does. So I'm curious to see what it looks like, who that benefits. And then obviously this backfield, you know, everyone is waiting to see, you know, what kind of touches Javante Williams gets, uh, what kind of touches Melvin Gordon gets. Uh, and that's kind of what we're all dialed in on, on seeing, you know, with Russ going back home to Seattle too, as the narrative, you know, kind of spin to around that too. But I know that you're, you're tight with Cecil yeah. and you got something, you know, yeah. you're going to give us the full deck of cards sure. and let us know. But uh, yeah, the Broncos are a team that I feel like we're all looking for like a big reveal on. Right. We know there's going to be winners, right? It's like a raffle. Like <laughs> we know they're going to pull some part. When we talk about week one winners, there'll be some Broncos on those tickets which Broncos you mentioned Javante Williams. And just the question is about that split. Uh, Melvin Gordon says they want him to be the guy, but we're still going to rotate series. But I I think that this is going to come down to Javante Williams. There's so many of these things, Rich, we spend so much time staring at this stuff and we spend so much time thinking, well, it's either this or this. Uh, There's all these different things. And so many times it just comes down to the players assuming rational coaching. And I think if Javante Williams shows growth in year two, then he can dictate how they split up this backfield. So don't worry if you took him in the second round, it's going to come down to him. And then it's Russell Wilson. And like you said, uh, is he going to be a different quarterback, no longer having to row upstream against a team that quite frankly, didn't appreciate what he had to offer. They never made him the centerpiece of the offense. Could we be talking about him, especially after this game, because Seattle is just a miserable, miserable keeps coming up, right? It's miserable weather. It's, I think it's just going to be a rough, rough year. I think you're going to see a lot more questions as the season goes on. Is Pete Carroll really the coach to lead a rebuild at this point in his coaching career? Because that's where they're at as a franchise. So we could see Russell Wilson, that hookup with Cortland Sutton, and Cecil's been chronicling that since May. Uh, Sutton and Judy's ADPs stay 
somewhat close, but Sutton clearly moved ahead as the summer went on. Uh, Albert O with Greg Dulcich on IR with his hamstring. That's another guy we're going to watch. KJ Hamler coming back from the hip and knee injuries ahead of schedule. That could be an interesting guy because he's that Tyler Lockett type target for Russell Wilson to throw the ball deep. So I, I think it's just which positive. It's like, and this is going to be uh, potentially a cup run of the over offense. Like we saw when Peyton Manning came to the Broncos. Remember that, Rich? Like, it didn't matter which one you had. Julius Thomas, great. That's a win. Demarius Thomas, that's a win. Eric Decker, that's a win. Didn't matter. Whoever you had, it's going to be a win. I think after week one, that's probably how people who have Broncos on their fantasy teams are going to feel. Yeah, they, they have our easiest pass schedule on the site projected for this year. And, you know, you start not only going back to Seattle, but Seattle starting probably two rookie corners with yeah. Sidney Jones, you know, and Tariq Wool is a guy I'm interested in just because of the mm-hmm. size. And, you know, he's that old school Seattle guy anyway, long and but that long arms, you know, he can kind of at least be a big body. They can throw at Sutton. But uh, you're talking about if, if, if Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant are going to slow down, this Broncos offense, then it was never going to happen anyway. Nice. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, nice. Nice. Is, is there anyone outside of any of these games that like, uh, you know, th- to keep the theme here that you're looking for yeah. a reveal on? Uh, oh yeah. Well, and that's, what's great. Again, I mean, you let this stuff wash over you. I, I just want to emphasize again, the Detroit offense, obviously Philly's offense, when you add AJ Brown and what that can do. Um, I, I think we're going to be watching Cincinnati's offensive line. Is it better? Just how bad is it? With Pittsburgh, you have these these counterbalancing forces of George Pickens and these great skill position players, Najee Harris and Clay, Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson versus the terrible offensive line of Mitchell Trubisky. And yeah. Matt Canada, what's going to play out there? Um, obviously, does Baker Mayfield look like a material upgrade or is it really just more of the same for Carolina's offense? Uh, I mentioned Matt Ryan in Indianapolis. That's a big one. Um, Jameis Winston with some actual receivers. Mm-hmm. That could be quite interesting. Kyle Pitts. I mean, that's, you know, get your popcorn out, whether you have him on your fantasy team or not in year two, does he take that Calvin Johnson kind of leap? Um, I'm certainly going to be watching what's going on in Jacksonville. Like, again, that's one of those, Ding dong, the witch's dead offenses, particularly the James Robinson, Travis Etienne thing. Uh, I, I think that, ha- and whether it's Cam Akers or James Robinson, we're talking about will we see a breakthrough with a running back with an Achilles? We're truly returning to form. Uh, I think that the uh, Vegas Chargers game, it, it, I don't know what, how to classify this, right? Because John Gruden was the witch. And he is dead. Well, except in that lawsuit. So Josh McDaniels has an opportunity to really bring some things out, especially with the addition of Devontae Adams that this offense couldn't offer before. But is the offensive line going to keep him mm-hmm. from being able to do that? So I, I think that we have a lot of questions, Rich. And that Chargers defense put a lot on paper. Like they... Yeah. <laughs> well, this is that year. You know, at some point we're going to have to stop making excuses for the Chargers. Like they don't win 10 or 11 games, go to the playoffs. I know it's a tough division, but we're going to have to stop making excuses for this team. But I think if we're doing it right, I'll end on this note, Rich. I think we have a ton of questions, right? When you think about these games, you should be thinking about it in terms of questions, questions mm-hmm. you're going to get the first data point on. But coming out of these games, you should have an action plan. You should have some action items, some things you want to do, trade players, draw players, add players. But you should also still have more questions, right? The, the answers we're going to get in week one are probably going to lead to more questions. And not really until week two or week three will we be able to triangulate. Uh, but I, I, 
I think that's what, what separates the good fantasy players from the fancy players that are one beat behind and mm-hmm. always just following the crowd and never really getting to profit or otherwise have that moment of triumph where you're an early adopter, you're out in the lead. So how you process week one and what you it causes you to look for in week two, really important. And that's why you're the you're the best to have on, you know, in week one to kind of walk us through this. Let everyone know what do you yeah. guys got going on at the yeah. football guys here at the start of 2022. Yeah, what do we not have going on? I mean, I think that all of the fantasy football content providers and all the fantasy football players and those lines blur. Um, we all shift gears and we get into our routine. And uh, what we have going on is I think Cecil and I will still be doing our eight episodes a week on the Audible. So as, if you enjoy uh, what we do, check all that out. We've always got more wonderful, talented people added to the staff uh, trying to help you win your fantasy league, win DFS, win IDP, win Dynasty, however we can. But mostly it is just that excitement of the shared experience. And I always call this moment, Rich, the uh, the click, your Cedar Point guy. So, you know, I love it when I ask you about Disney, you're like, Pfft. I grew up with Cedar Point, man. So, yeah, weak <laughs> sauce. I'll always remember that. Uh, but this is that click, click, click. Mm-hmm. And you can see the crest of that first hill. And then it's just get to the end, you know, just with the, the twists and turns. Don't puke. And uh, and then you'll want to ride it again. And that's what's really fun about us getting to do this all together, being on each other's shows, all the great audience that we get to serve. And the teams, the players, the coaches continue to give us such a compelling, compelling product on the field. You can't beat that at Sigmund Bloom on Twitter. The only person who's had an as avatar longer than I have. And yeah. Can, and can equally not change it along with me. Never. Uh, <laughs> it was great having you on. We'll be back in week two to hopefully said, start to supplant some of those uh, answers to some of those questions we had, you know, entering the season. So good luck everyone in week one. We hope everyone starts one and know. We'll be back in week two.